Good morning, Trinity Church, and a warm welcome to you. Uh, good to be with you in this way again. And um, we are in our second, uh, the second part of our second series in the Proverbs series called Wise. And um, this morning we are going to be looking at the topic of parenting. And so I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 4. Uh, but really we're going to be dotting about in Proverbs uh, as usual. And then I'm going to pray for us. And then we'll look at it together. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 1 reads, Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it costs you all you have. Get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for uh, the wisdom that you have um, imparted or that you do impart in your word. And I pray that whether we are used to hearing uh, from your word, from the Bible, or whether it's something relatively new to us, I pray that you would help us uh, to be able to understand what you're saying and to get to know you and more closely. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you're a parent this morning, or perhaps you're the child of a parent, I think that handily covers everyone who's tuned in, uh, you might resonate with this little comment from Kelvin, <clears throat> of Kelvin and Hobbes fame. Have a look. Perhaps you automatically go to Kelvin's point of view in that uh, situation and, and you think with consternation about your own upbringing or perhaps your natural reaction is to put yourself in the shoes of those parents because your parents maybe and that question of Calvin's is one that haunts you from time to time like no other generation ours is one that angsts over the role of raising children we are so easily made to feel uncertain or insecure or guilty that we're not measuring up as parents and surely part of the problem is that there's never been quite so much information so much advice so many opinions on how to do the job guidance about how many greens should be on the plate or how much time should be spent in nature or how much time should not be spent on screens or how many instruments should be mastered by the age of six and on it goes it makes for a lot of pressure and it makes for a lot of balls that keep getting dropped. Now, of course, you must know that I am uh, one of those parents too, frequently overwhelmed by the task, often paralyzed uh, and perplexed. And so this morning, <clears throat> we're going to need something much more helpful than any thoughts that I can scrape together. Um, and you'll be glad to hear that that's what we have, something far more profound. 
perhaps you've heard the expression that evangelism is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Well, that's how I feel uh, this morning with regards to wisdom on parenting. I'm simply going to take you to a place uh, that has some answers. And what I hope we'll discover is that we're not adding one more voice or one more opinion into the mix. No, the Bible speaks with God's final authority and his clarity uh, on the subject. And I believe that looking at the Bible together is going to simplify things for us. It is going to help us see that there are uh, not quite so many non-negotiables when it comes to parenting. Now, I'm very conscious that a sermon like this on parenting might feel some of us uh, might, might feel a bit irrelevant to some of us. Uh, not everyone who's tuned in to this is a parent, but we certainly all know and love someone who is in the trenches of parenthood uh, right now. It might be a friend. It might be the uh, community group member. It might be um, the parent of a child that you're teaching. It might be your own grown-up child who is now parenting your grandchildren. Well, since the Bible calls us to bear one another, to bear one another's burdens, what we have this morning is a, a great opportunity to listen to God's truth in this particular area so that we can be praying for and coming alongside and loving the parents that we know. And um, I don't know your situation, you know, maybe parenthood is still on the horizon for you. So with that in mind, we, we come back to the book of Proverbs and to the wisdom that it has to offer. And if you've been with us through the series, uh, you'll remember that um, what's at the root of wise living in God's world. It is getting God's word, uh, sorry, it's getting God himself right. Recognizing that he is the Lord over his creation and everything revolves around him. But foolishness, Proverbs tells us, is to think and live as if everything or life revolves around us. And Proverbs has shown us uh, time and time again what wisdom and foolishness looks like in each area of life. But as we come to parenting, we don't we don't get a contrast between the wise and the foolish parent. No, instead we, we just get wisdom on how to raise children. And, and then in a bunch of verses, uh, it reminds us of the grief that a foolish child brings to his or her parents. Proverbs 17, 21 is a good example of this. It says, to have a fool for a child brings grief. There is no joy for the parent of a godless fool. Which is not to say that parenting makes the only difference between a, having a foolish child and a wise one. We'll see that there's much more to it than that. But it is a sober reminder to us this morning that we are asking for trouble if we don't listen carefully to what the Bible has to say on this subject. Now as we get into this subject, we must remember where our parenting efforts are to be aimed. What is, what is it that we're hoping will change in the lives of our children? Is it their behavior? Are we hoping that they'll become model children and just toe the line? Well, that's not God's primary concern for them. No, God's concern is for much deeper change. It is always 
um, hearts that need to change for God. And Proverbs is all about the heart. Chapter 4, verse 23 sums it up well, saying, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. See, the, part, the heart, as the Bible understands it, is the control center uh, of our lives. It's the place of our will. It is, it is um, where our choices and decisions are made. And so it is the heart, the control center, that needs transforming. And um, so it is the heart that will need parenting, not the behavior so much. The Tripp brothers, uh, Ted and Paul, have both written helpfully on this. Uh, in his book called Parenting, simply called Parenting, Paul Tripp writes this. He says, your children's behavioral problems are heart problems. If the heart of your child does not change, his behavior won't change for very long. See, it's your, your child's heart that needs transforming. And this morning, Proverbs gives us wisdom on how to make that happen. And we have three things uh, to think about this morning. The first, uh, the first point is going to be so much longer than the other two, so, so just hang in there. Uh, it is this. It is that God has given us the means to guide our children's hearts. God has given us the means to guide our children's hearts. He hasn't left us in the dark about how to raise children. He may not have given you all the details in exactly the format that you would like it to come in, but he has given us the, uh, the essentials and then some. Presumably because it's the essentials that parents need to keep focusing on. And Proverbs offers two essentials for us this morning. The first is biblical instruction. The second is discipline. Put differently, parents need to disciple their children and discipline them. Disciple them, we see in Proverbs 22, verse 6, which says this, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. The idea there is one of, of getting your child off to a good start uh, in life, um, pointing them in the right direction, laying down some, some track, like some railway track, for them to start going down. And how do you do that? Well, by teaching them from very early what it looks like to be wise and righteous in God's world. And there are schools of thought these days that, that say you shouldn't impose your worldview onto children and you should let them figure it all out on their own. But Proverbs 22 also tells us that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, which is to say the control center of a child is hardwired towards foolishness, which means it's a very bad idea to let that child become, uh, to be, be self-taught. And that is especially true in a world that is clambering to influence and sway your children uh, to its own way of thinking. Uh, in fact, there is no neutral space in the world in which children can grow up in. And so a loving, God-fearing parent will want to lay down some good track for their kids to start going down. They'll be proactive about teaching, which is what we saw happening uh, in our reading just now. The interesting thing about Proverbs is, is that the whole thing is framed as a father teaching his son. And that father remembers his own father's instruction. Have a listen to chapter 4 again. He says, For I too was a son 
to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands, and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. It's impossible to miss the loving concern that this father has for his son. Did you, did you see what he wants for his, his boy? He wants him to live. He wants him to have life to the full. And he knew that in order for that to happen, his son would, uh, would need wisdom. And, and for his son to gain wisdom, well, he would need to take hold of his words, keep his commands, which of course had their origin, origin in God's, God's word. And so chapter 22, 46, uh, sorry, chapter 22, verse 6, tells all parents to train their children in the way they should go, which means teaching them what it looks like to be wise and righteous in God's world. It means teaching them where that wisdom and righteousness is found in the Lord Jesus himself, as the New Testament helps us to understand. Parents are to disciple their children. In fact, the Bible sees parents as the primary teachers and disciple makers. It's, it's not a job that we can outsource to anyone or, or which we can leave to the Sunday school teacher. Now, they will provide the bonus material on, on a Sunday morning, but it is the parent who is best placed to help their child apply God's truth to their own circumstances, to their own personalities, to their own weaknesses and struggles. And perhaps I can add, it's not a job for fathers to outsource only to mothers. Actually, it is fathers who are addressed in the New Testament, in Ephesians, as the head of the home, and he reminds them that the responsibility is theirs. Now, perhaps that sounds a little bit daunting, dads and mums. Uh, perhaps you've so sort of think about it, and you've, you realize you've done very little of this until now, and you're not, you're not really sure where to start or where to pick up again. Well, here are two thoughts that might help, and, and thoughts that perhaps we can um, start being more intentional on. The first is to say that much of the teaching of kids happens informally, um, sort of on the trot, if you know what I mean. Um, it happens in the many moments that happen throughout everyday life. As you walk through nature, there are opportunities galore to speak about your child's creator, about his creativity and kindness and generosity. And as you pick up your child from school and discover that some mean thing was said to him or done to him, or perhaps that he or she did something mean or unkind to someone else, well, there are opportunities to speak to him or her about the ways, about ways, that, ways of living that are pleasing to the Lord. When your child comes to you with a pet mouse, which he has recently drowned by accident, this may or may not be an autobiographical situation, and there are opportunities there to talk to them about life and death and eternity and grace. The opportunities there most days, we only have to see them and develop a habit of thinking, uh, what can I teach my child about God here and about how to live in his world? That's the first thought. The second one is more obvious. It is quite simply 
to open the Bible with your kids and read it together. You're not expected to prep a brilliant Bible study, uh, pitch perfectly at, at every, at every um, age, age group of children in your family. No, just get a hold of an age-appropriate Bible. We can help you to find one of those. And start reading it regularly with your kids at the time that, that works best. And when they start asking you questions uh, which you can't answer, which invariably will happen, don't freak out. Firstly, rejoice that their minds and their hearts are engaging with God. Relish those moments and then tell them, well, you don't know the answer, but you'll go away and you'll find out. And then come and make use of the Christians around you and get an answer to take back to them. God has given parents the means to guide our children's hearts. And it is in his word that wisdom is found, not just for grown-ups, for, but for kids as well. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. I, uh, I've been inconsistent at this um, as I've led my own family through it. We have started and stopped. A few weeks later, we've realized that we've stopped and then we've started again. And some days have been just terrible. The kids don't want to listen. They're distracted. Um, or I'm in a grumpy mood or whatever. There have been lots of epic fails on this front. But I know that God is gracious to me, and I know he will be to you as well. And forgive, uh, he forgives our, our laziness and our impatience and our procrastination, and he strengthens our feeble efforts, especially when we ask him to. And I know it is thanks to him and to his grace that there have also been some good times uh, as the end of family have gotten around a passage. There have been times when we've had um, a conversation that's gone just a little bit deeper. And questions have been asked by, by the children. And we've had a pray. And it's been really wonderful. Now, perhaps uh, you've not thought of yourself as a disciple maker. But if you're a parent, and that is what you are, whether you like it or not. And Proverbs 22 verse 6 tells us how this discipling is likely to turn out. It says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. You're laying down a track for them to start going down, which will go on into much older age. Now remember that Proverbs uh, is not... It's not a bunch of guaranteed promises for every individual situation. So you might lay down some track, and then your kids manage to derail themselves when they get older as adults. That can happen. Because them walking faithfully with the Lord is not all down to you, as we'll see in a moment. But Proverbs gives us a principle to follow. And the general gracious pattern is that of children who stay on course. We are to disciple our kids. Secondly, we are to discipline them. Discipline is hardly the parenting buzzword of the year, and, um, and yet I think that most parents would agree that some discipline is necessary, although it might be kept uh, in reserve like a, like a super sub, um, 
only to be sort of brought out when, when things have really fallen apart. But the Bible puts discipline uh, front and center. It considers it an essential part of raising kids. And Proverbs uses some very strong words to make its case. Like these in chapter 13, verse 24, which say, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Those words uh, could hardly be stronger, could they? I mean, how on earth can they be true, though? Well, another proverb helps us out. Chapter 19, verse 18 says, Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. There the writer is sort of looking down the road towards future outcomes. He says, um, discipline early in life will bring about positive outcomes later in life. And zero discipline early in life will contribute to your child's demise. But how so? Well, parents naturally set up boundaries for their kids uh, to be safe in. The obvious example is putting up a fence at the bottom of the garden so they don't run into the road. And for the times when a child goes beyond those boundaries, there are consequences that are introduced, unpleasant consequences, discipline. And the effect that that discipline has is to teach your child to live in ways that are wise and safe. But if there are no consequences, no discipline, well, that child will grow up and head into a world where there are consequences for foolish living and the consequences are far more serious than anything they experienced or didn't experience as a child. Let me use an example. A child who grows up knowing that back chat or cheek uh, is disrespectful and who is disciplined for it will grow up le learning a host of valuable, important lessons. He'll learn that, that um, the words that he uses matters, matter. He'll learn that authorities are to be respected. He'll learn that he's not the center of the universe. Now consider the child who is never disciplined for back chat. He'll grow up thinking he can say whatever he likes to anyone. And that authority is not really something to be respected. And that he's the most important person in the room all the time. As an adult, that will likely lead to a string of painful consequences. He might get himself beaten up by someone he's insulted. He might get himself fired for disrespecting his employer. But most seriously, and I think this is what uh, the proverb has in mind, he might find himself facing God as his judge one day because he, never, he could never accept God's authority over his life. Proverbs 19.18 says that that tragic chain of events can be set in motion way back in childhood by none other than the child's own parents. Do not be a willing party to his death. Instead, love him by disciplining him. And love really is the key word here. Of course, part of the reason that the Western world has reacted so strongly against discipline is because authorities have a track record of doing it all wrong. Far too much parental discipline has looked more like abuse. Of course, the Bible does not, would not ever condone that, condone that kind of evil. But the baby must not be thrown out with the bathwater. Discipline 
is good and right if it is done from a place of love, if it is done in a way that is not severe or harsh, and if it has as its goal a godly outcome. In fact, when it is done right, we're told it is imitating the way that God treats his own children. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father, the son he delights in. So parents, how are you going in this non-negotiable aspect of your parenting? Perhaps you're a bit puzzled by Proverbs' language of the rod. I don't think there can be any doubt that the writer is speaking there about physical punishment. But a verse like 29.15 helps us to see that corporal punishment is not the only way to discipline kids. It says, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Especially in a country like ours, which outlawed smacking in 2019, this verse leaves room uh, for other forms of discipline. It is, of course, the principle behind it all that matters the most. Consequences for foolishness, which will help to steer our children along wires and safe paths. That's what is needed. It is another area that requires immense wisdom and self-control. Paul Tripp says child discipline also involves parental discipline. It is easy to punish in anger rather than love. But God's word never condones the harsh discipline of children nor discipline from a place of frustration or anger. And so we need to think carefully about how it is done in our homes. We need to keep a watch on our own selves, on our own hearts. And mums and dads need to help each other out to stay godly and loving through that process. So there you have it. God has given parents uh, the means to guide their children's hearts. And you might say, well, hang on a minute, what about love? You've left, you've left love out. Surely love is how we guide our children. And of course, you're quite right. Proverbs isn't ignoring love. What it does, though, is it shows us how parental love is worked out. We can kiss and kid, cuddle our kids till the cows come home, and that's fine. But it is as we discipline and, and disciple them that we really show them how much we love them, because we are setting them on a course, um, a safe path through life and beyond. Now, we've spent the lion's share of our time in that point, uh, but there are two more things to say, uh, which are also important, and here's the first. It is that God is the only one able to change children's hearts. Now, the wording of that first point was chosen very carefully, because as much as God has given us the means to guide our children's heart, he has not given us the ability to uh, remold them, or to make them new. So we've been told by God to disciple our kids and discipline them, but here come a few verses that remind us that it is not within our power to change those hearts. The first is uh, in chapter 13, verse 1, which says, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not, rebuke, does not respond to rebukes. Do you see the problem there? It is not with the parent's instruction, 
It is with the son's refusal to listen. He is called a mocker and the responsibility of listening to his father's instruction rests squarely on his shoulders. Because you can lead a, a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. A second proverb also reminds us that we can't change uh, hearts, but it does it from a different perspective. Chapter 21 verse 1 says, In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. See, in this case, not even the human owner of the heart has control over it. The king's heart is in God's hand, and it follows whichever course God has set for it. Naturally, it's the same the same is true for every human heart. And so for those reasons, parents can be quite sure that, that they don't have this power to remold or renew or to change their children's hearts. And so you will hear of godly parents who have faithfully opened up the Bible with their kids, um, but one or two of those kids have gone on to derail themselves later on in life. And it is why there are children whose parents didn't disciple them at all, but who by God's grace were drawn into a saving relationship with him. Because only God changes hearts. It is only his spirit, um, only as his spirit helps us to understand what has been done through the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, that any of us, and put our, learn to put our trust in Him. That any of us can have our hearts changed and renewed. That any of us can be born again, whether we're a child or an adult. Which is not a reason for parents to sort of throw their hands up and go, oh, well, what's the point of doing anything? No, God has given us the general principle of how He works in His world. So the wise and faithful thing to do is to get on with, with discipling and disciplining our kids. But the fact that he alone changes hearts means we can never really, uh, we can never rely on our own skill or our own hard work or our own parenting philosophy or technique to see our children walking faithfully with God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so as we put our trust in him, it is in him alone. But it is not a passive sit back and put your feet up kind of trust. No, it is a trust that leads to the most important proactive thing that you could ever do for your children, which is to pray, to lift up your children to God in regular, frequent, persistent, utterly dependent prayer. Is that what you're doing for your kids? Are you praying that God will open the eyes of their hearts as you open the Bible with them? Are you praying daily for his spirit to do a powerful work in them as you do a weak and faltering work alongside them? Are you praying persistently for his words to soften and illuminate and change their foolish hearts? That kind of prayer is not just for the parents of young children to pray. No, perhaps you are one of those whose children um, have grown up, perhaps they've walked away from Jesus now, and, um, and perhaps you're in a state of real heartbreak. Well, this prayer is still for you. Um, perhaps you've been praying it for years. Well, don't stop. Maybe you know the story of that great Christian who prayed his whole life for his five children to be converted. 
The first was converted, converted after, after a number of years of praying. It took another decade or so for the second to be converted. Much later, a third came to faith, and it was only after the man, the father, had died that the other two turned to Jesus. This kind of prayer is not just for parents of young children, it's not just for parents of children who've wandered away from the Lord. No, this is not just a prayer for parents. This is something that all of us can be doing for the children uh, that we know, the children in our community. You don't have to be related. You don't have to be a godparent. You can just pray. You can speak to God and ask him to work in the hearts of the children you know. You can't imagine how grateful the parents will be for your prayers. God is the only one who is able to change children's hearts. Lastly, and very briefly, God calls parents to prioritize their own foolish hearts. Now, perhaps that feels a bit odd to you, sounds odd, but it is true that the best thing that you can do for your children, alongside praying for them and opening up the Bible with them, is to live out a life of repentance and faith in front of them. Listen to how Proverbs 20 verse 7 puts it. The righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. And chapter 14 verse 26. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And for their children it will be a refuge. See, your genuine faith, your fear of the Lord will not just benefit you. It will bless your children too. How so? Well, in many, many ways. They will get to see the Christian life modeled in front of them. They will experience so many of the benefits and blessings of being around someone who is putting sin to death and growing in godliness. And crucially, they will see that there is not a gap between what you say you believe and how you live it out. Children can detect hypocrisy a mile off, and they rightly become suspicious. And so what your children need to see is you living under the Lordship of Jesus. You loving Him more than you love them, even. They need to see you opening up the Bible, not just with them, but with your spouse and on your own. They need to see you prioritizing church every Sunday for your own soul's sake and theirs. They need to see you in the fight against sin and repenting when you fail and mess it up and sin has got the better of you. They need to hear you asking for their forgiveness when it is them you have sinned against. Your children need to see you bringing your foolish faltering heart before God every day in repentance and renewed faith. And once again, this is not just for parents. This is, it's for all of us here this morning, whether they are family friends, whether they are grandparents. We all have a role to play, prioritizing our own foolish hearts before God, our own repentance and faith. Your godliness, your servant-heartedness uh, will not go unnoticed in the community. It may well be pointed out by parents who want their children to follow in your example. 
and who are looking for role models for their kids. And your example will make it that much easier for those children to step out on a path, the path their parents are teaching them to take. So there you have it. Parenting, an overwhelming task which perplexes and sometimes paralyzes us. The world is full of advice and, and, um, and has a million different theories. But I think God's word keeps it relatively simple. Disciple them, teach them about Jesus. Discipline them for things that they're doing wrong. And then trust God to change their hearts. Pray like crazy. And don't forget to prioritize your own foolish heart. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for the clarity with which your word speaks. We thank you that you are best placed to give us counsel on how to parent our children. Thank you that you are the perfect, loving, gracious, merciful Father. Please would you help us in our struggle, in our efforts to, um, to parent our kids. Please would you help us as a community to share the burden of parenting in that sense, to be praying, to be modeling Christian living. And we pray for the kids amongst us. We pray for those children that we know and love, Father, that they would grow up to know and love you, that they would stay on the track which their loving parents have set out for them. And we pray that they will be standing around the throne one day when Jesus uh, is before us all, enthroned, Father, would they be there too? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.